This podcast was recorded on Gadigal land. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, to all elders past and present. This land always was, and it always will be, Aboriginal land. Welcome back to Careful. On this podcast, you hang out with me, Rose Kerr, and I talk to people who just really care about something. We talk about why they care and how they put their passions into action. Now, I will admit to you, you're not imagining things. This podcast is definitely late. I have a good excuse. I was sick. My partner's now sick. But as you can hear, I'm back and I promise you this episode has been worth the wait. This week, I'd like to introduce you to Lauren Jackson. I really mean it when I say Lauren is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Her day job and her side hustle, if you can even call it that, both come from a place of loving people and just wanting to make the world a better place to be in. So day to day, I work for Walk Free, which is a... A human rights organization that's focused on the eradication of modern slavery. That is obviously, you know, something that I don't think you can do as a job unless you genuinely care. Do you remember maybe when you were younger or, you know, maybe it was only in the last few years, whenever it happened that you kind of thought, I want to use the time that I have in my day to try to make things better for someone else? Um, there's a clipping of me in the local newspaper when I was about nine with my cousin and um, we'd spent our school holidays making a petition that we stuck in our nana's window about saving the whales and yeah and that was like my first memory of actively doing something for you know the good of the world or social justice or whatever it may be that is so cute yeah but I mean as I got older I always kind of knew that it was the direction I wanted to head into but I didn't know how that would play out it wasn't probably the last like five years that have really solidified it yeah because how do you even find yourself in a job like yours it sounds so niche yeah it it absolutely is and especially you know, post-COVID, you know, the world of international development is is like, you know, people can't travel. It's um, a lot more local now, uh, not necessarily a bad thing. But I did my law degree, or half of my law degree actually, <laughs> and really wasn't enjoying it. And I did it for the purpose of advocacy in the, mm. the true sense of the word. But um It just kind of wasn't what I'd hoped it would be and didn't see myself ever becoming an active lawyer. So Mm. I changed and I did my Master of International Development and that um, kind of gave me the theoretical background about some of this stuff that I'd really been interested in but didn't really have a good understanding of and that um, kind of opened up the opportunity to work for Walk Free but also, you know, having my own charity in Kenya also helped quite a bit. I love how you dropped that on the end there. Like it's such a casual thing that everyone's done. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's, you know, a little bit of a side project, I guess. (laughs) 
it's like a side project that's like, you know, it's not crocheting. How do you even wake up one day and think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to like put this into action and actually do something. Yeah. It was 2015 when I first went to Kenya and I talk about it openly now and the fact that I was very much a typical white saviour. Mm-hmm. We didn't really know what I was getting myself into and had um, very like idealised expectations of the whole thing. But I went as a teacher's aide, don't, don't mm-hmm. have a teaching degree, but um, went and I was placed with a host family near the border of Tanzania and my host parents were phenomenal, um, Mary and Jackson. They were both local teachers at different schools in the community and very, very well respected very intelligent, you know, trilingual. Um, And so what kind of came out of that was that they had suggested that, you know, the funds that I'd raised um, sent some of the kids to school and then when I returned back to Australia, if I just kept raising a bit of money, uh, they would send kids to school and send me their receipts. So it was all legit. Um, And that's, I guess, kind of how it started. But once I'd exhausted, you know, the funds from my family things had my my circle had to expand yeah so I found pretty quickly that uh, people are hesitant to donate to things unless Mm -hmm. it's you know all above board so that's when we registered it in Kenya and then eventually it we registered in Australia and New Zealand so it's kind of gone from just being about paying for school fees to focusing on education and healthcare amongst children of the Maasai um, community. So it's not just focused on them, but predominantly that's um, the community which we service. Um, And then by extension, if kids are vulnerable, their families probably are too. So we do a lot of work, um, you know, empowering women and their families. Are your, like, host family, they're still all involved today? Yeah, yep. So um, the way I see it... Um, kind of operating now is that myself and then there's also someone in New Zealand that helps run it. We are, you know, the financial and administrative side of things, making sure that that all runs great. Um, But Mary and Jackson and a couple of other volunteers in Kenya are all, you know, the heart and soul behind it. They know the community, you know, through and through, even though we've been back quite a few times now. You know, no amount of visits could ever mm. ever understand uh, as much as they know. So they really drive what projects we do, who we engage with and how we do it. So, yeah, they're 100% involved. Was it complicated to try to figure out how to run the charity? Because, you know, uh, getting money and trying to make sure you get it across and then making sure they're able to actually access it. Was that complicated? Yeah, absolutely. And it still is. I was lucky that I had them to help set it up in Kenya because to try and set up a a community organisation while you're abroad is just, you know, you don't even know where to start. Yeah. Even when I was in Australia trying to get it set up here, it's really difficult when you have no resources behind you and especially you know, setting up a business is one thing because you ha- you know you'll have capital at the end of it, but mm. setting up uh, a charity is another because, you know, I can't 
um, spend money on lawyers. Um, you know, I'm trying to navigate the system myself, trying to work out which entity type is best, how best to do it, um, apply for tax exemptions, all of that kind of thing. It gets a little bit difficult. Um, you know, uh, Australia and New Zealand have really fantastic government departments. It was fine to work with them, but, um, you know, not the easiest process at all. And still you have to do a lot of reporting. It gets quite difficult to know deadlines and um, requirements. So, yeah, it's quite full on. Did it ever put you off? Uh, in the initial stages, um, you know, we applied for charity status in Australia and then got denied for a couple of, you know, just administrative errors. And it was a bit disheartening because, yeah. you know, you just want um, that, like, certification to give approval. Nothing changes in how you run things. So that was a bit, you know, a bit of a put-off. But I knew that as soon as we would have that certification, things would change in terms of, you know, grants or mm. more likely to donate, uh, more likely to you know, get funds through that. You kind of just had to power through it. Yeah, absolutely. How do you manage to balance both working and running a charity? Yeah, it's pretty full on, um, <laughs> yeah. especially during COVID, you know, um, things in Kenya weren't, actually they still aren't great at all. So um, uh, we have to redirect a lot of funds. Um, you know, we have sponsored children as well. Yeah, and school wasn't on, so we had to make sure that we reached out to everyone to um, let them know how their funds were spending or if people also couldn't afford then to keep up regular donations so it was it's pretty full-on you know I tried to think of at least with my walk-free job as Mm. that a nine-to-five role yeah even though it's quite full-on and we do hear victim stories um, and you feel like you know, you're passionate about it, so you're happy to do the work. Yeah. But um, as soon as it gets to the end of the day, then that's usually it. Yeah. It's a bit different with the Children of Maasai charity work because it doesn't have an end date and um, also the time zones. Oh, yeah. So they're five hours behind. So usually my evenings are like their afternoon. Oh. So it works out quite nicely. Tiring but nicely. Yeah, tiring but nicely. So Mary, uh, who I usually communicate with about these things, is really good and um, if I am too busy to apply, she'll just handle it. Um, So it's, you know, without them, things would be a whole lot more difficult. I can't believe that even before you were involved as well and were able to kind of mobilise some of the ideas and support Mary and everything she's doing, it's amazing that she was kind of already trying to care for kids even when presumably the situation wasn't that good for her herself. Yeah, she's her and Jackson are honestly the best people I've ever met, you know. They both have teachers' salaries which aren't good anywhere in the world but especially not in Kenya where government departments are notoriously underfunded and they were paying for kids to go to school themselves. Oh. Um they whatever income they would get they would have kids come to their house to be able to eat school uniforms in Kenya compulsory mm. to go to school so they would send kids from school during the day without the uniforms and go send them to their own they had a little uniform shop 
they would send them to the uniform shop, just take the uniforms and then just write it off out of their costs. They would do, you know, things like that all the time. They still do, especially during COVID. They would have a lot of families come to them and say they haven't eaten in days and days and days and they would just feed them and, and look after them and house them. Wow, what an amazing family. Absolutely. I don't know, it would take an emotional toll, like whether or not, you know, you're here in Australia and obviously we're very lucky here, it still doesn't mean that there's not an emotional kind of toll on you. You're still putting a lot of energy into these things. Do you ever find yourself running out of steam? Yeah, I do. And um, it's hard to acknowledge as well even because you want to put all of your time and energy into this because it does make an impact and you know that you are helping people. And it feels sometimes like if you falter, then there are so many people relying on you to be able to send their kids to school or to be able to eat that day. And um, if you feel burnt out, then you compare yourself to what they're going through and you think there's no way, like that's comparable. I need to just pull myself out of this bad mood and just keep going. Mm. Oh, we've kind of settled into a bit of a groove now where we can, we've come to the realisation that we can only help who we can help and you just have to accept that. There's been a couple of really sad cases where we've really wanted to do things and intervene in things but we just don't have the resources to. Mm. And it's a matter of understanding that well, at least we're doing something. Agreed. And uh, we're helping more people than would have been helped and that's has to be enough in itself. And then, you know, you still have to work through all the other stuff that comes with it and the burnout and the guilty feelings of not helping everyone, but um, that um, understanding has certainly been a great help. And hopefully it's something that, you know, as as time goes on, you'll become more comfortable with. Yeah. Do you have any kind of advice for people who are trying to find the right places to support? Yeah. My advice would be that if you had studied something like economics or history or accounting or whatever it may be, then and if you wanted to contribute some way into the humanitarian or not-for-profit space then that those skills are actually really really useful you can empower people in ways that aren't traditionally in quote seen as the way to do development in terms of training people is a really good way to go about it rather than doing what I did and not having any teaching experience, but still mm. that is a useful way to contribute, which in reality it absolutely wasn't. Mm. So imparting that wisdom and that actual technical knowledge elsewhere is is a great thing as well. Um, you know, we've had a nurse come to Kenya and um, help local nurses in the community and donate equipment to the local community as well. So that has been really useful and that kind yeah. of technical expertise is Uh, fantastic to impart often when say for example a protest comes up or a big awareness campaign for a particular cause comes up I have these conversations with people where friends will say like oh I do really care about that topic that's really important but 
you know, I'm either busy today or I don't have it in me or which are, you know, legitimate things to say. I don't discredit them. But sometimes I think there's this lack of emotional energy to care about other things. And I was wondering if you had any kind of tips for how to overcome that and still, if you do really care, to put that into action and not become apathetic? Yeah, I think we've seen a huge rise in, in social movements, you know, Me Too or, or climate marches, um, Black Lives Matter, and it's hard to know which one or, you know, they're all equally as important. It's hard to know where to dedicate your time and your energy and you can feel uh, pretty guilty if, if you don't dedicate your, your energy to that because you know, especially like as a white woman, um, you have responsibility to to do these sorts of things and to advocate for others. And I think around the time of the Black Lives Matter stuff and its translation here in Australia with Black Deaths in Custody, I think, you know, even though I did attend marches and things, there was a bigger conversation around how to continue those conversations. Mm. That was when I started following black creators and um, buying merchandise or or like art and, and things like that. So there was a bigger acknowledgement of the wider issue in terms of respecting and uplifting, acknowledging people and these movements. So I think that's a good common ground in terms of mm. how do I translate this from something that takes a huge amount of my emotional energy or even just like time out of my day to how can I use this in and incorporate these issues into my everyday life, whether it be something like school strike for climate or something like that. How how can I incorporate these huge um, political and social movements into the actions I'm doing every day. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Lauren. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Rose. Thank you for listening to this episode of Careful. And Lauren, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Now, if you want to find out more about her charity, Children of Maasai, I've put some notes in the episode description so you can follow links and find out more about it. You can also head to their website, childrenofmaasai.org. Maasai is spelled M-A-A-S-A-I. And if you like careful, there's a few things you could do that would really help me out. Firstly, stay in your pod app, wherever you're listening, look for the review button, leave me a nice review, give me five stars, I'd really appreciate it and it makes a huge difference. You can also share the podcast with a friend or jump onto Instagram and follow me at rosie.zkerr. I actually have some more projects coming, so definitely keep an eye on that. I'd love to know who you want to hear from on this podcast, so jump onto Instagram, send me a DM, let me know who you'd like to hear from. And I'll be back in about two weeks with the next episode of Careful. Bye.